the curse of every pastor having to follow something like that. Well, children, you did a great job, and we're proud of you. Can we all thank them one more time for the great work they've done? And uh, you see rolled out here um, a chalkboard, old school, literally, uh, with Relationships 101 written on it. Uh, We begin today launching a sermon series about Relationships 101, the basics of loving and getting along and surviving relationships, because we never graduate from doing life with others. And many of you received in the mail the flyer, and there are extras on the Narthex Welcome Center table we would encourage you to take these maybe to work or school or share with friends and invite them during these weeks of this sermon series uh, as people are, I think, everywhere struggling with relationships, struggling with finding answers about getting along and healing that which is broken. And uh, we encourage you to be a part of that conversation any way that you can. I would like for us, uh, as we begin this morning, before I even read the scripture from Psalm, uh, the eighth Psalm, to uh, have a moment of prayer. We've been uh, inviting you to pray for uh, uh, mission work all over the world. We understand that one of the Future Leadership Foundation teams uh, is in India, and uh, they were having a little bit of trouble uh, getting all their connections and all of their transportation uh, made to be leaving that country. Uh, Nothing that's life-threatening, but just some challenges. Invite you to pray about that, the situation in Ukraine and uh, all, of the, all of the other things that are going on in our world. So I invite us to a time of prayer and meditation and centering uh, before I read the scripture this morning and as we think about relationships together. We bow before you, mighty God, to acknowledge our need of you, to acknowledge that you are the great God who is sovereign over all the world. And we pray today for the team in India that they might have safety and provision and that all of the details might fall into place for transitions from one country to another, the transportation, the air flight, and everything, that you might bless the work that is accomplished there. We pray for our sisters and brothers in Ukraine. We pray for a stabilizing there. We pray for the churches and the pastors as they try to live a faithful witness to Christ and as you uh, would lead providentially guiding nations in the ways of peace, not only there but everywhere. Father, today we're mindful that we're a part of a larger Baptist family known as the Baptist World Alliance, 228 unions and partnerships uh, and and, uh, uh, denominations in over 120 countries. What a wonderful thing it is that we can be connected for ministry and witness uh, as we fight for religious rights and human rights as we link arms together to share the good news of Jesus Christ. We ask, God, that you bless those in our congregation this morning who are sick and hurting, for those who are grieving, for those who are struggling with life. And we would pray especially this morning for those who are struggling with relationships, that not only this sermon, not only this sermon series, but by the way we live the gospel, uh, there might be a healing in hearts and a healing between and among people. And we pray that you would bless this sermon and and our thoughts together this morning as we launch a very serious conversation about getting along. We're hungry, Lord, to understand your love for us in a deeper way. We're hungry, Lord, to love one another more 
real and, and, and stronger and better. And we pray that in everything that we do, Christ, you would be glorified. And we pray this prayer in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. We're thinking together this morning about uh, relationships, and I think the place to begin uh, is our relationship with ourselves. We don't often start there, and I think that's a mistake. And so we're thinking together this morning about the relationship of self-esteem, our own sense of self-worth, and how that affects and impacts our understanding of God and our understanding of how we can get along with others. And I want to read one scripture right now, and we'll read the second text from 1 John a little later in the service. So if you want to have 1 John 4 ready, uh, I'll read that during the course of the message. But this morning, as I begin, I want to read the 8th Psalm, which I think is a beautiful psalm about self-worth, about, about how God values us. And I invite you to stand if you're able, and I'll read the uh, 8th Psalm, and you listen along prayerfully and silently. O Lord, our Sovereign... How majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens out of the mouths of babes and infants. You have founded a bulwark because of your foes to silence the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have established, what are human beings that you are mindful of them, mortals that you care for them? Yet you have made them a little lower than God, and crown them with glory and honor. You have given them dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under their feet, all sheep and oxen, also the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O Lord, our sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. May God bless his word. You may be seated. I uh, read a story several years ago uh, in the news about the nation of India establishing a new policy that in what we would call elementary schools, every child would receive one hug per day. One hug per child per day in schools that we would call elementary schools. They don't call them that, but that's what we would call them. And when interviewed, one of the uh, school officials said that there'd been a spike in the number of teen suicides and that the schools in India were determined to try to get at this issue in several ways. And one way was to make sure that every child had a hug every day. Uh, The school official said that they had noticed that uh, children were living with a sense of worthlessness and that with that sense of worthlessness came a sense of emptiness And they were determined to do something to try to fix that with hugs. And so I was thinking this morning, who here this morning needs a hug? Now, we already had our welcome time, so you might have to wait till afterwards, or we could do another welcome time. I wonder who here this morning needs a hug? Culture, the world, people who matter to you have somehow sent the message to you that you don't matter that you don't count, that you're not a good person, that you're not valued. The child or the youth who feels ugly and stupid and not popular. The uh, parent who feels like a failure because of some things that are going wrong in your child's life. 
Or how about this one? The mom who feels guilty for staying at home, not having a job, and the mom who works outside the home feeling guilty that she's not home. Or what about the older person who feels invisible in a world that seems to prize youth? What about the disabled person that feels left out? What about the person who's been laid off or who has retired and suddenly a sense of value and purpose has evaporated from life? And what about the person who's messed up, really messed up, and sinned greatly and doesn't feel that God can forgive and God can love. I could go on and on and on describing scenarios of people who need hugs. wonder who needs a hug this morning. I'll be at the back door when church is over. Well, this is what I think about evangelical churches like ours. I think over the generations we have done a wonderful job pointing out sin, but I'm not sure we've done as great a job pointing out the value of the sinner. That we are all incredibly loved by God, that we are valued beyond measure by God. We sing a lot about grace, and we preach a lot about grace, but when we do our living, we seem to almost always focus on merit and what someone deserves and what someone can earn, and we seem to put one another and ourselves on a performance standard rather than a grace standard. And one very cynical but honest person said it this way, maybe we do love other people the way we love ourselves. That's why we hate other people so much. Maybe we do love others just exactly like we love ourselves because we really don't love ourselves very much. See, there's a connection. You can't love other people until you love yourself. And you can't love yourself until you understand how much God loves you. It's all connected. And you can't leave out one single piece of that connection, of that formula. Now, I'm amazed in this eighth psalm that it, it starts out as if you and I, human beings, won't even get honorable mention. We won't even be, we won't even rate. Because, O oh Lord, our sovereign, when we look at the moon and the stars and we see the greatness of the cosmos, what are human beings that you even pay attention to them? And yet beginning in verse 5, yet you have made us just a little lower than angels, just a little lower than God. And you've crowned us with dignity and worth and value. And you've placed everything else in creation under our feet. See, in the Hebrew language, that is the language of royalty. It's the language reserved for royalty. We are God's vice regents. We are God's deputies. We are deputized with greatness to have dominion over the world, and we are God's very special creation. See, there's a beautiful balance in this eighth psalm. It's a balance between honor and humility. We are honored because we're just beneath God, but we are humble because we're not God. You see that? See how important that is? We're, 
we're honored because we're just beneath God, but we are humble because we are not God. We are not our own gods. Or to think of it another way, pride is when I try to crown myself, but dignity is when I accept the crowning that God gives me. There's all the difference in the world. Pride, I try to crown myself. Dignity is when I accept that crowning that God alone can give to my life as he places value and worth on my life. Now, as you think about applications to this, they're far and wide. Individuals suffer when self-esteem is low. There are so many manifestations of low self-esteem in our behavior every day. Um, Some of us are perfectionists, and uh, we take a lot of ribbing for that. Uh, By the way, I read a definition of perfectionist. You know what a perfectionist is? A perfectionist is someone who who takes great pains and who gives great pains. And my staff and my family are smiling, even as I speak. And Rod, I'm watching you, so wherever you are. He's hiding. You know, I have this prediction that I can make. If you are a person who always deals with others based on where they ought to be rather than where they really are, if you're a person who, who always has to have people where they should be instead of where they are, I'm making a prediction. You struggle with relationships. I can guarantee it. I can guarantee it. And, and what, a, what a paradox that we all crave the approval of others, but yet we judge others harshly with a standard we don't want for ourselves. Self-esteem and low self-esteem issues have such ramifications in daily life. When we don't feel good about ourselves, we try to compensate by bragging or bullying. Have you ever noticed that freight trains, freight train cars, the ones that are empty rattle the most and make the most noise? It's that way with people, too. When we're empty, we make more noise. When we're empty, we rattle more. When our souls are empty of a sense of self-worth, we're always trying to impress others. We're bullying or we're bragging or we're compensating by spending all the time or by illicit sexual relationships or any number of ways. Self-esteem. Individuals struggle when self-esteem is low. Families struggle when self-esteem is not affirmed. I was visiting with a lady uh, 20, 30 years ago in a church I pastored, and she was working through some issues uh, with me over a cup of coffee, and she said, you know, I finally figured out that when I was growing up as a child, I always got signals about what I'd done wrong, but I never got any signals when I did anything right. I always got feedback when I failed, but I never got feedback that I was loved and valued and did things right. 
And you know, if we're not careful without even realizing it, what we do to our children and grandchildren and, and employees and friends is we place them on a performance value uh, basis. I will value you if you do this. I will value you when you do this. It's a when or an if love, not an anyhow love. And of course, we're loved through Jesus Christ with an anyhow kind of love, grace. But sometimes we forget to give it to children. Family issues arise in marriage also when self-esteem is bruised. Uh, we use a book in premarital counseling uh, among the staff here, and, and one of the early chapters, they, they established the fact that it's impossible to get from your spouse what only God can give you. That there are some things about worth and about value that, can, that we can only get from God about how much God loves us and how much God values us. And to try to get that from a spouse, there, there are some things that other people, even, even our spouse cannot give us, that only God can. And by the way, while we're speaking of marriage, you know, several years ago there was a movie out, Jerry Maguire, and one of the famous lines from it was, You complete me. And sometimes pastors are fond of saying at wedding ceremonies that you, you were a half a person and now you're whole as you become one. That's really not biblical. We are whole people as individuals. Our spouse may complement us. Our spouse may enrich us. But if you are a single person, you're not walking around today as a half person. You are a valued person by God. Read the eighth psalm again. Whether you are divorced, widowed, single by choice, separated, no matter what, you are a person of value and worth. You are complete by God's creation and by God's redemptive love through His Son, Jesus Christ. You are a person of value and worth. Individuals suffer when self-esteem is bruised. Families suffer when self-esteem is bruised. Churches suffer when self-esteem is bruised. Uh, some of the leaders in our church are currently reading a book entitled The Emotionally Healthy Church by a man named Scazzaro, and uh, in it he talks about the ways that low self-esteem manifests itself in unhealthy church relationships. These are his words, not mine, so don't get angry, Okay. A children's worker who's constantly critical of other people. A church leader who never apologizes, always has to be right. A tireless church worker who keeps taking on four more jobs and never takes care of herself or himself. A small group member who can never risk honesty and transparency because that person is so afraid to be known. And on and on and on we could go with congregational issues related to self-esteem. And as somebody has said, you can go forward during the invitation and rededicate your life over and over and over again, and it doesn't fix the problem until you deal with the pain, until you acknowledge the emptiness and the struggle in your life. So how does God want us to deal with this pain, this struggle with self-esteem? Because we all have self-esteem issues. Just a question of whether we deal with them and how we deal with them. How does Scripture want us to deal with them? How does God want us to? Well, we can start with a proverb from the book of Proverbs, the uh, 25th, 20, 
29th chapter of Proverbs. The fear of human opinions, the fear of human opinion disables. Trusting in God protects you from that. Do you hear the wisdom of that? That if we live for the opinion of others, we will be paralyzed. We will be disabled. We will be non-functioning eventually because when you live for the opinion of others, it will drive you absolutely to distraction. But trusting in God as our only source of validation protects us from all that. The next scripture I want to show you is the second sermon text for this morning, and I just uh, wanted to use it at this point rather than earlier in the sermon, from 1 John. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness on the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. We love because he first loved us. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment, how God has loved us in creation and placed us just beneath deity, and then how God has loved us in recreation by sending Jesus Christ. Our sins are forgiven. We don't have to be afraid. God loves us, and God loves us first, and God loves us best, and that healing begins in our hearts because we know that we are loved, therefore we are free to love self and love others. And I know where you're going next. People get confused. Well, I, they say, Pastor, I thought the Bible says, I thought Jesus said we were supposed to deny ourselves and take up our cross. I thought we weren't supposed to be self-centered and we weren't supposed to be proud. So where's that balance? Well, I'm glad you asked because a man named Carlson wrote a book and he talks about the contrast between selfishness and healthy, healthy self-awareness. Uh, and I want you to look at how he sets up the distinction between the two in a way that I think is biblical and helpful. We're called to humility, not humiliation. We're called to putting off sinful nature, not putting down self. We're called to self-denial, not self-degradation. We're called to acknowledge that we are unworthy, not worthless. There's a difference between being unworthy and being worthless. We're called to self-love, not selfishness. Self-affirmation, not self-conceit. Self-worth, not self-worship. And finally, self-awareness, not being self-absorbed. And you just look at those for a moment, and you think about all the ways that we've received the wrong message growing up, and sometimes even in church, how we've gotten the wrong message about how much God loves us and how valuable we are so that healing can hum, come to our hearts and healing can come to our relationships. Mary was a pastor's wife, and she thought life was rocking along pretty comfortably. And then one day her pastor husband came home and said he didn't want to be married anymore, that he'd found someone else, and he left her. And Mary was devastated. All of her self-worth, all of her self-identity, all of her self-understanding, it just crumbled. And through weeks and weeks, months and months of counseling and, and pain and misery, she slowly began to rebuild her life. 
And one of the disciplines of her life was to take every Bible passage she could find and tape it to her refrigerator door, scriptures like the 8th Psalm, scripture like 1 John 4, 17 through 19, which we just read, and many other scriptures, and she put them on her refrigerator door and soaked her life in God's truth, trying to renew her mind with a fresh understanding about how valuable she was, about the fact that she had value and worth even though her husband did not acknowledge it, that her, that her true value came from God. And over a period of time, she slowly began to rebuild her life. And she came to the place where she finally acknowledged, she said, growth comes from self, self-acceptance. Growth comes in life from joyful self-acceptance. Who I am and what God is still doing in me. And then she also had this insight that if I allow God to meet my deepest needs, I won't be grasping trying to get those needs met from other people. When I allow God to meet my deepest needs, I won't be grasping trying to get those needs met from other people. So here's what I want us to understand this morning as we begin this course in Relationships 101. God loves us first. And God loves us best. There is no fear in love. And I want to invite you to open your life this morning and allow the the penetrating love of God to find the crevices and the corners and the dark places deep within you that need healing and need touching. To allow the powerful love of God to come in and seep into those secret places and to bring healing to your life and eventually healing to those relationships. Let's bow our heads together.